0: We're not crazy, the system is. Tune in to Madness Radio, voices and visions from outside mental health, Wednesdays 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Pacifica affiliate WXOJLPFM 103.3 Valley Free Radio, produced by Freedom Center and The Icarus Project, streaming live, podcasting, and archived at madnessradio.net. Thanks
1: for tuning in to Madness Radio. This is your host, uh, Will Hall, and today we're doing a show on sexual abuse. We're speaking with Angela Shelton, and um, Angela is the um, filmmaker of a great film called Searching for Angela Shelton. She's also got a new book coming out called Finding Angela Shelton, where she went around the country um to make a documentary about women's lives and met all these different people who had the same name as her and then discovered that they shared this common experience of sexual abuse. So we're going to be speaking with her about that. And Angela Shelton is an activist, artist, and superhero. She is an actress, writer, model, dancer, and director. She first brought her life to the screen with the award-winning movie, Tumbleweeds, that she co-wrote based on her first novel. The film won the Filmmakers' Trophy at the 2000 Sundance Film Festival and brought the lead actress, Janet McTeer, an Academy Award nomination and a Golden Globe win. Angela then received outstanding reviews for her adaptation of Kay Gibbons' novel, Charms for the Easy Life, starring Gina Rowlands, and began a screenwriting career in Hollywood. For her directing debut, Angela traveled the United States interviewing other Angela Sheltons for her documentary, Searching for Angela Shelton*. Her goal was to survey women in the U.S., but as she began interviewing other Angela Shelton's, she found that 70% had been victims of rape, childhood sexual assault, and or domestic violence. Angela's survey of women becomes a journey of self-discovery, discovery, during which she decides to finally confront her own past and her father on Father's Day. The Angela Shelton's complete the journey by teaching the filmmaker about the power of the human spirit, no matter what your name is. Angela has quickly become recognized as a hero and public speaker on the subject of trauma, recovery, and resiliency. Due to the overwhelming response to her and her film, Angela created the Survivor Manual with the mission of inspiring and empowering all survivors of abuse to heal and lead joyful lives. So welcome to Madness Radio, Angela Shelton.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, so it's, it sounds like you've had a really incredible um, journey and I, I'm really interested in, in hearing how did you kind of make this transition from a very successful career in um, Hollywood and really focused on that career to starting to look at your own personal experiences and, and to least sort of look at the issue of, of sexual abuse. How did that kind of transition change? How did you sort of become an activist on this issue?
2: Oh wow. Well I was thrown into it in um, many levels against my will. <laughs> Um, I was, uh, it's kind of like when the tornado comes and removes your house, you know, you have to face some things. I, uh, wanted to make a movie, honestly. It was the writer's strike in 01. It actually never really happened. Right now in 07, it's actually happening. But in 01, there was a threat of a writer's strike. And when you strike, you can't work. So as a screenwriter, you know, I couldn't take any screenwriting jobs so that's when you have to figure out other ways to either, you know, pay your rent or you go and make a pro- you know, you go into a project that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise do. Many writers got into reality TV. You know, a lot of them did documentaries and I chose to do a documentary. And I honestly was going to just survey women in America. That was my idea. Like I wanted to see who we are, where we've been, and where we're going. And instead of just randomly knocking on doors, because that's kind of weird, <laughs> I chose my name. And so I had, I had Googled my name before. I mean, many people have done that. Have you ever looked yourself up on the Internet to see how many other wheels there are? Yeah, every, many people have done that. So I decided, oh, I'm just going to start calling all of them. And I did, and they were awesome. It was like many of them thought that I was a telemarketer at first. And then when I, I actually pitched this idea to a studio and they were like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest idea ever. And because they were so excited, I got so excited. And so I started the process. I hired a crew. I you know put away two months of my life. to you know, I, I scheduled time to go on the road. And then the studio said, oh, well, actually, we're not going to fund you because there's this other guy doing the same thing. I'm like, oh, well, he's a guy, he's interviewing every woman in America, come on, and I'm like, well, no, he's doing a movie about his name, I'm like, well, okay, so they decided not to fund my idea, but at that point, I had already started calling Angela Sheltons, and I already was, um, I, got, I got the bug, the Angela Shelton bug, because what was happening is I was calling these women, and they thought, I was a telemarketer, and then, the, as soon as I told them about tumbleweeds and you know, I, my various projects in Hollywood, they realized that I'm not um, just some random wacko. Of course, I'm a little crazy. <laughs> but they started telling me about their lives. And I sat for hours just yakking on the phone with these women. And you, know, you get women, you get anybody really, but especially women, yakking for hours. And you're going to tell each other about your whole life. It's just what happens, especially when you share what your life was. And I, and I shared a little bit of mine, which is I come from an abusive past. And, you know, I was removed from my home when I was a child and put into foster care. And then that sparks the question of why. And then I'm like, oh, well, I was sexually abused by my dad. And then 70% of the Angela Shelton's I spoke to had paths of child sexual abuse, rape, or domestic violence. And so, you know, I, I had originally thought the movie would be kind of funny. You know, it's kind of funny if, like, you travel around and meet all the women with your same name. But then it got to be, that's not funny. <laughs> and then there was an Angela Shelton that I called who was tracking sexual predators. And she lived in the same town as my father, literally about five miles from him. So that made it personal. So that, that's what threw me into my own story because I was not even planning on being in the movie. I wanted to be the director. I wanted to direct my first movie and prove that I could do it. But when it became personal for the sake of the film, I had to talk about my own story.
1: So there was kind of an element of fate that was involved here, it sounds like.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, an understatement, yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, I'm constantly like, oh, thanks, gee whiz, thanks, universe. Well, were you,
1: would, when you say you were, you have a history of sexual abuse, were you living with the effects of that? I mean, do you have trauma symptoms and are you sort of struggling with the scars and after effects of having had that experience with your father?
2: Honestly, I didn't even realize it. I that's what my book is about. The the film Searching for Angela Shelton really is my journey of meeting all the Angela Sheltons and me and I go and confront my father on Father's Day. Because again, fate, we arrived to that Angela Shelton's town who lived in the same town as my dad. We arrived on Father's Day. So that's again like what that's just it's it got too weird to be weird anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I confront him on Father's Day. And then my book is about my own personal journey. Because to be honest, I mean, you, you know about trauma. Uh, there's many times you could be going through traumatic things and not even realize it, you know? I had been in one verbal abusive relationship after another. I was a self-mutilator. I was not a cutter, but I was a slapper. But I mean, I, after researching trauma for so long now, it's all under the umbrella of self abuse, you know. And here I was a self abuser. I never told anybody that. I have my, you know, big fancy Hollywood therapist and I was talking about, you know, my my dating problems and my issues with my dad on a on a bigger scale, but never like how is it really affecting your life? How is that really causing you to I mean, I was a chain smoker. I smoked two packs a day. I was um, deeply affected by it, deeply, but not addressing it. You know, you, you, I always call it like strawberry butter, like you just put strawberry butter over over everything. Like, oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I'm fancy. I have a big career, and I'm on camera all the time, and I'm funny, and I'm attractive. Nothing's wrong with me. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs>
1: So you had developed you had developed all these really successful coping mechanisms that helped you kind of stay, keep it out of mind and sort of stay in denial about this the, the connection between some of the problems that you were having and and this past history. And it's interesting that you had a you had a therapist, but the therapist did never really kind of brought this to attention to your attention or helped you make connections. It was not something that came up in the therapy.
2: Well, actually, the, I mean it always came up because it always goes back to that. But what. That I what I never talked about. I never even told my therapist that I was self-abusing. You know, I wasn't honest with myself. And t- but by making the movie, the movie sparked the conversation. And then in the book, I tell like how I was faced with it. Like I really all those Angela Sheltons. Like that's why I, my life is like so funny because my jokes come and come around and smack me on the head. Because here I, I wanted I made a joke right. And it was really the Angela Shelton's that turned around and showed me a big giant mirror and were like, um, hello, like, this is about you. You're not surveying women in America. You're surveying yourself. And you're like really looking at yourself. What are you doing? Where have you been and where are you going? And I was like, blah, 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 blah. What? And I really had to face myself and really be honest. And then, you know, the movie is really successful and a lot of, uh, it's totally grassroots. I never sold it to a big studio. It's solely spread through word of mouth, which is amazing. It has a big, huge following. And so I started going on the road speaking about it. And here I was still smoking and still, um, you know, hating myself and had the negative thought patterns. And so I really had, the movie made me change my life. I had to, because I, I cannot be a hypocrite. I mean, I had to really face some things. So it boiled down to, well, how do you do that, really?
1: <laughs> so are you still in touch with the women that you interviewed, or, or did they really play a role in helping you, your, helping you yourself go through this process, or were you sort of um, guided by them, and did you learn a lot from them in terms of how they Worked with their own abuse histories.
2: Um, some of them I'm still in touch with, but the main one that really we changed each other's lives is the anonymous Angela Shelton that nobody ever sees, and she tends to be everybody's favorite too. But you never see her, and she's she's an alcoholic, and the movie actually starts with her because um, it's I kind of narrated the movie with our phone conversations. And I spoke to that Angela more than any other Angela by far, and and from our very first phone conversation of me leaving a message for her about the movie idea, and then her calling me back, from that point on, for like years, she called me all the time, drunk. And I would record the phone conversations, and now she's actually, she's sober now, and she, uh, you know, obviously allowed me to do that, but it became we were talking to ourselves cuz here she is she's drunk and she comes from an abusive past with her father as well and her coping mechanism is she would she would literally drink a case of beer a night i am not kidding i don't know how she <laughs> survived that one <coughs> so she's drinking a case of beer and i um you know i mean abusive relationships, not physically, but it doesn't matter. It's all, you know, mine was verbally abusive and I hated myself and I was smoking cigarettes and self-abusing and we're literally talking to ourselves. So that's actually what I go into much more detail about when I wrote my book of like being really honest of like, okay, you know what? I was actually not healthy. (laughs) I appear to be. But now the great thing of the movie forced me to get better, and the, I'm so appreciative of it. Actually, that's why I travel because it's my service work. You know, that's why you're in the basement doing this radio show. You know, it's like you gotta you do your service work. You know, and and um, she really changed my life because I really got that my frustration with her and she, I would get so irritated with her. Like, I'm like, you are the cutest thing because I'm the only one who's met her. You know, I actually went physically met her. She's adorable. And she literally, her favorite term is calling herself lower than a dog. She's like, I'm, I'm a piece of crap. I'm lower than a dog. And I'm like, Angela Shelton, would you shut up? You are so cute and you're so adorable. You have so much going for you. Why are you beating yourself up? Well, guess what? After a while, I'm like, uh, hello, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> And then she would tell me the same thing. And after a while, it's that moment of like, oh. Oh, we're, we're talking to ourselves. Oops.
1: Did you find that a lot of the women that you met kind of went through this same uh, process of, of having had these terrible abuse experiences and then and then also having a lot of different kinds of problems or suffering or addictions or different things but hadn't really made the connection about how serious it was? Because I think that a lot of times... Society really minimizes the power that abuse has—sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, um, incest—have to really create huge symptoms and huge problems for us, and to have lasting emotional, physical, psychological effects for years and years and throughout our, our lives. So, do you, was that a was that kind of a learning that happened with the women that you? that you met as well as with yourself to kind of make connections about how serious this issue is and how much effect that it actually can have over our lives.
2: That was what I learned while I was on the road. Cause I mean, I've been w- working on this film now for six years. Well, it's moved past the film. It's now a whole, it's not a movie. It's a movement, you know, and then, now the book, it's like while I was on the road, that's what I saw. Cause I mean, I've had, thousands and thousands of emails. I mean, when I was on Oprah and then 48 Hours and then Lifetime, you can't even imagine the emails that come in. I mean, oh my gosh, I crashed four servers. So that just goes to show you how much this affects the world and how many survivors there are out there. But I started hearing thousands and thousands of stories, and I would be speaking on, on stage, and people would line up and speak to me. And every single time, I start paying attention to, like, the common threads and the most common thing I do see are health problems. Trauma equals health problems and trauma equals, um, self abuse. So you got all these people that because of the trauma from how, you know, and I say trauma instead of child sexual abuse, because I mean, my goodness, some of the trauma is simply neglect. Like I've spoken to some people that, you know, their abuse was, there was nothing, you know? Um, so it's like, trauma seems to sum it up and because of that so many of them end up beating themselves up and getting the whole list of addictions and self mutilation and then uh, abusive relationships because of those original beliefs that are set into place of you know uh, those negative thought patterns of I'm a piece of crap I'm not worthy I'm not lovable I'm nothing and it it actually creates that in your life, but the and the health problems are also what fascinates me. I'm sure that you see that a lot too, you know, when you're when you actually get physically sick.
1: Yeah, people's immune people's immune systems are compromised, or they have ongoing, um, uh, you know, vulnerabilities to being sick, or even people can even get serious serious illnesses as um, a result of the way in which the body can be weakened and become more susceptible as a result of trauma. Definitely.
2: Yeah, and I've seen seizures. I've seen people actually have an actual seizure, but they're not it's a non epileptic seizure, it's actually like body memory flashback. It's really fascinating. Like and, and I had no idea. I'm like I was on the road to being a comedian. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, I just wanted to make a movie, people but it um it really propelled me into this world of trauma and I became fascinated. And the reason I became fascinated is because I love people. Like, I just love them up. I love us all. And, you know, you meet these amazing survivors, and they're in line, and they're talking to me. And I'm just like, oh, my God, we're talking to ourselves. We're all going through these issues. It's amazing how we um, are all going through it. And then we need to just talk about it. Because once we start breaking the silence, then we can break the cycle. I mean, you know, there's a lot, lot of people in pain, and I just, oh, it just breaks my heart. What
1: were some of the the people that you met? I mean, the, in terms of making the the film, and also just um, you're traveling around and speaking. What are some of the stories that you encountered or people that you um, met that you can you can tell us about who really kind of stand out in in your mind?
2: Uh, well, one, it's been years. I have some that I've known for years, and and those are like, oh gosh, that really talk about it. I love him up there's this one guy Michael who's been following the movie since I first started editing it in LA he came to my very first screenings and he was smoking you know three packs a day hunched over wearing all black had cut marks all down his arms I wouldn't look at you and I at all like looked at the ground and he was just standing there at the at one of the screenings and just, you know, waited until everybody left and wanted to speak to me. And I just, I went up to him and started talking to him. And and I could tell just as he smoked when he lifted his arm up, you could see all the scars on his arm. I'm like, oh boy, here we have a cutter. And so I brought it up and we started talking about it. And I told him that I had been self-abusing as well. I mean, I didn't cut, but it doesn't matter. It's the same, it's under the same umbrella, like I said. um. He, that man watching him transform has been so amazing. He, uh, quit smoking. He quit self-abusing. He left, um, his job and went back to school, followed his dream of being a hairdresser because he'd, he'd never wanted to do it because it's like, oh, people are going to, you know, um, think he's gay. And, you know, he's had all these like fears about that and that brought up his um his sexual abuse and that guy is now a hairdresser i saw him recently and he's dressed in all like pastel colors his scars are gone away he's standing totally straight up looks you straight in the eye i'm like wow oh my god <laughs> that's a total 180 and he's like it's all because of you and i was like wow wow it's because of spirit i mean i i'll I'll take the credit. I had the crazy idea to make this movie. <laughs> but um, that's, that's something that just I could get all teary-eyed thinking about that guy. And there's a, um, two different survivors that I have become good friends with who out of the first 10,000 emails that I first got, I read all 10,000 now. It's just actually nearly impossible to read everything myself. But the first 10,000 I read and only two... Of them had stories where they, um, where their perpetrator was convicted, charged and convicted. Isn't that awful? Two out of ten mm-hmm. thousand.
1: But it's also really, it's also really common. I mean, the system, the legal system, is really set up to to not, to not really prosecute people at all, and um, so it's really common that, I, that 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 happens.
2: That's awful. And, now, and and both of them, it was their fathers. And these two particular women um charged and uh, pressed charges and took them to court and put them in jail and I ended up meeting both of them, and they are just the neatest women. I just love them, and I'll just like I'll actually go to their house, stay on their sofa. <laughs> One of them, whenever I'm in her state, she picks me up in the airport and drives me to my speaking engagements, and we just like blast Led Zeppelin and have fun because it's all about I think leading a joyful life in the face of trauma because I mean we got to move on and by us healing and getting better we do break the cycle and i've seen these two women totally break the cycle and it's really empowering and amazing to watch because yeah it's infuriating and it's angry and you could go through your whole life from now on to just be angry at every single man and every single person is just angry at the system and just angry, but they chose not to do that. And one of them has an amazing marriage. Oh my gosh, to see her and her husband. He's so supportive and amazing. And it's just like, wow, see, you can totally move on. I mean, you don't forget because by forgetting you let you, it's almost kind of like condoning the behavior. But, they forgave on on the level of like they forgave themselves and they moved on and stopped self abuse and just amazing. I just love them i just I love it every time I get to see them
1: <laughs> Angela, what do you think is the um what do you think is the key to healing? I know you talk a lot about um, breaking the silence and getting people to tell people's to tell their stories and also to make connections with each other. Do you think that's really what makes the difference for people that allows people to go? Um, out of living inside of the experience and having it dominate and control them to be able to move on, like you said?
2: Uh, I think um, connection with your peers is one element. I think um, connection to spirituality, arts, animals, nature. Um, generation 5 has, uh, has a list of, of connections, too, which I think that are really true. I think it's five things, uh, art, nature, animals, spirituality and peers with similar lived experience. But from what I've seen and me personally, what I what has helped me the most is the negative thought patterns in your head. Of addressing that because there's really that time where the therapist is on vacation, when you don't have a lover, when your family's all gone or dead or and you're totally alone, it is all what you're saying to yourself in your head. And that by far has been the most helpful for me and doing that work like EMDR I find really helpful um, NMT neuromodulation technique I find really amazing it's like helping to rewire and re, uh focus your neural pathways
1: is that the one where you where you it's kind of like a feed, a biofeedback um, technique
2: kind of something? yeah it's like kind of like somewhere in between hypnosis and EMDR it's I don't know. I, it's hard to explain that one. It's like wizardry work, you know. But that's by far my favorite. And I had two sessions, and I never had another panic attack.
1: So what is that called again? It's called neuromus. What is it called?
2: It's neuromodulation technique, and it's N as in Nancy, Mary, Tom, N-M-T dot M-D. So Nancy, Mary, Tom, dot Mary, David.
1: <laughs> that's interesting. I just... um. Li- Listening to you, uh, listening to you talk, I, I'm reminded of a dream that I had actually last night, where I ran across several copies of a book called "Feeling Good" by David Burns. And you um, you mentioned, you know, taking charge of the negative thought patterns that you have and belief patterns. And people who listen to my show know that I'm I'm very skeptical of a lot of um, mental health therapies and, and traditional approaches and mainstream approaches. And actually this book, Feeling Good, is actually comes from cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's a pretty mainstream approach. But actually I found it pretty effective and pretty helpful. It's just a way of, um, of you take a look at the things that you're telling yourself and you learn how to write them down and then you just take them apart one by one. Well, wait a second, I can't be a piece of crap because... I'm not I'm actually a human being and then I'm not 100% bad because I can list these good things about myself and you sort of undermine that negative voice that you've got in your head. So it's called Feeling Good by um David Burns. So I just wanted to put that out there.
2: I love it. I'll put it on the survivor menu. Yeah,
1: it's 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 it's, it's an interesting book. It's I mean I wouldn't um, swallow it 100% but I think in terms of um, f- finding bits and pieces that are useful, I think it's been really helpful for me. Angela, you know, there's a moment in your in your film that's that's very powerful and interesting and I want you to tell us more about that where you actually end up um confronting your father. Can you tell us the story of how that how that went?
2: <laughs> well, See, that's the when um, I arrived... that's
1: that's the deal with being a radio um a radio host. <laughs> I guess I get to ask like huge questions like that. Oh, sure, just tell us about confronting sure, is your father.
2: How was that life-changing thing for you? Um, well, I kind of, when we arrived to the town of that Angela Shelton who was tracking sexual predators and we arrived on Father's Day, as a filmmaker, I have to go see my dad because that's an amazing plot point. I mean, my God, that's the call IMAX of the movie. But as a survivor and a daughter, I was sick and I totally disassociated I was not even walking on the ground. I was like a foot above the ground as I walked to the door. And it was um, mortifying. But there's like three things that happened. One is I disassociated and I was like a little kid in front of my dad, like, like the big gulp. Like I, I can't get the words out to say. R- and then there's the filmmaker side that's like, Oh my gosh, when you see the movie, it's actually kind of funny. I I mean, I think I'm funny, but uh, there's parts of the movie that are mortifying, but they're actually really hilarious because my dad is just digging himself a hole. He's just sitting there. And as a filmmaker, I'm like, I cannot believe he's saying these things. I can't believe it. I can't believe he's just coming out of his mouth. It's just actually the most ridiculous. He's like, this is like
0: Haley's
2: Comet. (laughs) I'm like, what? He's like literally reaching for the stars, literally. Um, And then there was the part of me that's the adult female that was like, you know what? I do not have a dad. I have been searching through all these men in my life trying to find that guy to fix everything. And you know what? It all boils down to this schmuck sitting next to me who is the equivalent of a sperm donor. And look at, I mean, I had, was just so much, so many things are going through my head. And I go into much more detail in my book because I wasn't able to do that in the movie. And I'm talking about like, oh my God, I cannot believe this. It's so clear to me that like my various relationships where I'm like trying to find the guy to fix me, you know. And it all boils down to this guy uh, who's my quote unquote father. And he doesn't give a crap. He's a lying piece of <laughs> crap. And, you know, with, when I confronted my brother in the film, which is personally my favorite part of the movie, my brother came forward and was totally honest and about what happened with, with, with us as children. And now I have an com- awesome relationship with my brother. We went on vacation together twice. Like, it's awesome. That could have happened with my dad. I was totally open for that. Had he been honest and come forward, I could have gotten to that level. But you know what? I refuse to have bull in my life. You know, like I, you can reach a point when you're like, you know what? Enough already. I'm not going to sit across the Thanksgiving dinner table from you and listen to this bull anymore, unless you're going to come to the table. And so my dad didn't do that. He didn't want to, party (laughs) he didn't want he didn't want to come to the party he wanted to lie and cheat and steal and so I'm like all right, well you're a jerk and goodbye and he went off to church and then I drove in the other direction in the RV and you know I moved on it and it took three years it took three years of me editing the movie and I fell face forward flat on my face emotionally while I was editing this film. That's when I went through my catharsis with watching all that footage of me and my dad over and over. And then I have this crazy anger outburst afterwards where I freak out in the film. Um, they showed that clip on it on uh, 48 Hours and Oprah. And so a couple of people have seen that <laughs> where I freak out. And honestly, it didn't, even touch me when I was making the film, because I was a misproducer. I was like having to, you know, I had to feed and house my crew. I had to continue the movie. I had to get in touch with all the Angelas. I was producing a movie. I wasn't really present of what I personally was going through until I started editing the movie. And then I just fell apart. You know, that, that's when I went through my real hell, and I mean crying every day. There's some days that, like, my knees buckled under me and I could not leave my house, and I I lost everything. I almost lost my house, lost my agent, manager, public assistance, everything, because I just fell apart, totally fell apart. And so I when I see those survivors who come and meet me or email me, oh, man, I totally, totally understand. But it's also part of the process you know there's light at the end of the tunnel you're not gonna die you know when you think like oh my god i'm in so much pain i can't um i can't function but
1: so angela talking about your father why do you think that abusers do what they do and especially since you know reading this some of the story the details about what happened i mean there there was kind of like a kind of like these gray areas where there was kind of like this loving sort of quality to some of the uh, molestation that happened and what what is it that you think is sort of makes abusers do what they do and why is it that some are able to kind of come through it and and realize and take responsibility and have remorse and move on and then some just really you know close up around it and become defensive and can never really acknowledge what damage they've done as a result of their selfish you know sexual desires or whatever it is that they were their anger or whatever it is that they were they were doing
2: oh man i can only answer that like from my own personal opinion i mean eric hickey is actually the expert on the on the offenders i um, but what i have personally have seen is if they have to face it they would have to face what happened to them you know not meaning that every single perpetrator has also been a victim but many times that's the case I mean I have a theory that my dad was a victim by his grandfather but that's my only my personal theory of like dissecting my family tree and like studying my whole family I'm like hmm because I don't think abuse just falls out of nowhere I I, I think it's uh, it's generational many times and passed down and and if you have to face what you're doing, you know, that means you have to face your story. So, you know, that some people can and some people just simply cannot. There's some survivors who get so angry when they're faced with um, stories because it brings up so much emotions for them. Instead of actually looking at it, you get angry and attack. Like in my speaking engagements, um, I came up with this analogy for the sword, the sword of trauma. It's like all these different various traumas are like getting pierced with a sword. And it's painful and it's like a huge, giant sword, you know, uh, piercing your entire body. So that obviously affects you. You know, if you it's, uh, it's hard to have relationships. You can't get close to somebody. The more you move around, it actually um, hurts you more, causes health problems. Um, it, it makes living life uncomfortable when you have a sword sticking out of your body. But to remove it is a huge process. I mean, mine was a good three years, three years of 100% work. And that's totally worth it, I think. Um, but to remove the sword, um, many times it hurts worse coming out than it did going in. And people tend to be afraid of that pain. So it seems like people are afraid of, of um, crying and pain. All that I mean, anything associated with, oh my gosh, I'm going to feel pain. But It's like, yeah, well, okay, a picture that you're pierced with a sword. We have to surgically remove that and pull it out of you, which is worse, living with it for the rest of your life or removing it? And then I always say, when you remove it, then you have it. And, you know, your sword is your pencil, your paintbrush, your electric guitar, your, uh, you know, insert creative word there, you know, to use it with love instead of vengeance. Because, I mean, if we all turn vigilante against all the perpetrators in the world and we're like all angry Like they won't come forward and they won't you know uh, feel remorse we're gonna kill them all you know you'd be real busy (laughs) taking care of all of them because there sure are a lot of them we
1: talked about fate before and, and you talk about the role of spirit in all this and it really feels like there's some kind of destiny at work and some kind of um synchronicity and just the coincidences and and the real a real sense of of fate Um, so can you tell us a bit about you know your perspective on the role of of spirituality here and and the the metaphor you just gave us is really how trauma can also on some level be a gift it can be turned into the thing that gives you power and gives you contribution and leads you into a, a direction of service and that's definitely something that's happened in in your life with your story and the way you've turned all this around and your abuse experiences and your trauma experiences have really guided you in a whole life path. So what do you what do you think is the is the connection there in terms of spirit and why these things happen and what our fate and destiny might be around trauma and abuse?
2: Uh well, I I think that I was meant to go through all that I did and you know what? I would do it again because it's been so worth it and Really, the Angela Shelton's taught me a lot about spirit. A hundred percent of them were women of God from some level. Like, one of them was a Muslim. Most of them were Christian. And then some of them were um, really super spiritual women. I would call myself a spiritual woman. Um, They made me really believe in a higher something. You know, like, there's something at work here. I, I believe that it's all interconnected, I think that I didn't just randomly have this idea. Uh, actually, what I talk about a lot in the book are my dreams. Funny that you mentioned dreams. I had recurring dreams as I made this movie, and one of them was uh, a nightmare where I was trapped in um, kind of like a dungeony, like the bowels of a castle with all these dark corridors, and I was looking for an escape route. Which was very uh, uh, metaphorical of like what I was going through, and then one of the dreams I had, which ties in, I think, spirit and and um, what's actually happening with this, is all of these people were trapped in these little corridors. of these and these children, little children and women, were being trafficked by these like android-looking white men. Um, take what you will from that. That's very interesting, <laughs> and. <laughs> they, I had found an escape route that led to the light. It was very, very dark. And then there was this tunnel that led out into the light. And so we distracted the men. They couldn't actually get to the women and children. There was like this wall, but I I could see them coming. And then we turned and there was this code word that everybody was whispering. And it was Angela Shelton, Angela Shelton, Angela Shelton, Angela Shelton. And as soon as, they whispered, Angela Shelton, down this hallway. All these people would run, 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 and run out to the hallway into the light. And I just thought that dream was so weird because I had it like seven years ago. But it's in my book. I talk about it in my book because, you know, what that meant is because my name, it's not about me. This is a message. And I am just one of the messengers. And I totally get that now. Like, I mean, this is not... Uh, it's not about me, Angela Shelton, you know, I am the Angela Shelton. This is a message of healing and unity. And I believe it's an escape route because I really think that the more people hear this and the more people really get that it is about what you're saying to yourself in your head and you have the power to get better and then break the cycle in your life. Cause Let me tell you, there's no abuse happening in my life. I live a totally joyful life. Like, I'm back to doing comedy and writing and acting from a really authentic place now. It's not coming from trauma. It's coming from wholeness. And so I can lead a life of example. So as spirit comes in, it's like it's a message and a messenger and the name Angela Shelton. That's why the book is Finding Angela Shelton. It's a call to action for all of us to wake up and get better and then unite. And, and it becomes, you are escaping from the castle, if you will, like the, from the dungeon. And imagine if all the survivors in the country and the world made dramatic shifts like that guy, Michael, that I met, you know, that you stop the self-abuse, that you stop the inner negative thought patterns, that you... You know, quit your job and do the job that you always wanted to do, that you start painting, that you that you buy an electric guitar, that you just like completely transform your life. Imagine the dramatic social change that's going to be effect, that's gonna come out from that simply by starting a conversation. Now that is powerful and I've seen it myself. I've seen it with these with the various people all over all over the world. And so what I think would be really cool is that it's a wave. There's a wave of awareness and awakening. And that, I think, is is spirit. And that's the reason I think that I had this idea in the first place. And I don't even think it was my idea. I think it was spirit.
1: <laughs> Tell us about your work um, now. I know you're you're doing um, this book. Tell us about the book. It's, it's going to be available. It's on pre-order now, and it's going to be released soon. Is that right?
2: Yeah, the book, you can get it now. You can... Um, Pre-order it at your bookstores, you can pre-order online, you can go to AngelaShelton.com. And the book is The Call to Action. It, it's really actually a very spiritual book, I think. I mean, I, I tell all about how it all happened. And um, if you like the movie, you'll like the book better. <laughs> and actually, reading the book makes you want to watch the movie again, I think. And the, the book is, I think, A Call to Action to Break the Cycle. You know, if for me, it's totally, I, I tell all, I tell all about what I did and what I do now and how it all happened. And what I'm doing now is living a joyful life. You know, I'm, I'm dying to do comedy. I tell you, every time I go to a trauma conference, I'm like, here I am going to do comedy. Because <laughs> I think laughter is also a very healing thing. Because, I mean, when, my gosh, when you know, when you start talking about child sexual abuse and rape and trauma and mental institution It, gets, it really, gets really
1: heavy really quickly. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it makes yeah. you
2: just want to go crawl in a hole. I mean, I, I've heard a lot about the, what, what you do and, and um, the mental institution. That topic, I mean, we could talk for a whole other hour about that. You know what I mean? I just And it can be so depressing and so overwhelming. But I think we can make dramatic shifts with it and totally change it. I think you are. You're by this radio show, you know?
1: Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying to. I mean, a lot of a lot of the story that you're telling and the way in which these connections happen and the power of people coming together as a community is really what my work is all about and Freedom Center and Oryx's work and the Icarus Project. And you know, so you mentioned the relationship to mental institutions. And, and I imagine that some of the people that you met must have, also been in the mental health system and must have had bad experiences as from trauma from the mental health system
2: oh yeah and they're not crazy you know I mean many times uh, that's a whole other subject but I've heard that many times about how the family is hiding the abuse you know and they don't want to show that like Uncle Joe or Grandpa Danny or whatever is raping all the kids so they put the kid or the young teenager in a mental institution to shut him up. I can't even tell you how many times I've heard that. So it's like, there's a conversation. There's like, let's stand on the mountaintops and create dramatic social change, you know. But you would have to then point the finger at the patriarch. You know, so it's like, oh, oh my gosh, well, we're just going to have to address that we live in a patriarchal society. Oh my you know so my role is i can do uh, my work and and movies and books and and comedy to start conversations and then the conversations are what continue the social change i think
1: what kind of message would you give people who are listening to the show who are maybe you know struggling with trauma in their own lives or, or maybe they have friends who are struggling and who maybe haven't reached a point Friends or family or relatives who haven't who haven't reached the point of maybe trying to do healing work around their trauma and abuse experiences. What kind of message would you give them? Who people who are listening right now?
2: That you do a hundred percent have the power to transform your life because if I did it, you can do it. And you know, for me, it was the movie. I, I didn't. Even, I don't even take credit for that movie. I think Spirit made that movie, and. You know, the movie starts the conversation and then finding Angela Shelton is my how-to. And then I started the survivor manual, which is the goal is to answer all the myriad of questions that come with surviving from everything. Like, you know, I have questions, you know. So that's why I started that, to have contributors on there to where we all answer the questions having to do with surviving because honestly I don't have all the answers I'm learning as I go I I didn't even plan on falling into trauma by making this movie you know I I I had the big cartoon anvil fall out of the sky and hit me on the head
1: now is the survivor manual is that a book that's coming out or is that that's a part of your website or what is that
2: the survivor manual is a part of my website um it's um a, a blog that's an ongoing process and progress forward of all the answer answers to the questions having to do with surviving. <coughs> Excuse me. So I asked the contributors that I personally know, like there's a lawyer and a police officer and therapist and social worker and activists and advocates on there that we are we can all contribute answers so that as a survivor, you can go on there and search for various answers. And then, you know, your answer will come up and there's videos and there's survivor manual TV. And it just started about a month ago. So it's constantly evolving because there's always questions. And so the goal with that is to answer all the questions. Like, for example, how do you get out? How do you have a good sex life after you've been raped? How, you know, do you tell? How do you break your silence? How to? How to? How to?
1: Well, one question I think is important is: What about people who um, who want to be allies and supporters? I mean, uh, what kinds of attitudes and approaches should people take? Because I know it's there's a there's kind of like a, a delicate balance of encouraging and supporting someone to really look at their past and look at the changes that they need to make and at the same time respecting their own independence and self-determination and not, not pushing them and not being invasive and not kind of intruding and controlling on them. So what would, you, what would you say to people who want to be supporters to abuse survivors and to trauma survivors?
2: Wow, I think that, number one, you, you have to take care of yourself and you can't ever change somebody else's life. Or, or make them see it the way all you can do is be an example. I mean, I, I actually, I talk to a lot of um, husbands who are married to survivors, um, of, to, married to female survivors who, like, for example, you know, cry every single time they have sex. And it's like, you really have to take care of yourself while you're being a supporter because... You know, it's kind of like, uh, it, you know, I, you walk in the fine line. I don't want to insult anyone, but sometimes survivors can be in such trauma and such crisis that it's kind of like when you go try to save somebody who's drowning, they can kill you by pulling you down. You know what I mean? So there's a delicate balance of staying really rock solid and really like working on yourself that actually I think is the most helpful thing for somebody in crisis is to remain really solid and be a rock for them as opposed to trying to change their life for them because I think we all have to do it for ourselves. I mean, I I had to really do a lot of work. I was inspired and helped by many, but I ultimately had to do it myself. And I think that that's what... Each person has
1: to do, Angela. We, Angela, we are unfortunately just about out of time. So give give us some the um, details on how people can find out more about your work and the website and how they can uh, tell us remind us again of the name of the the book and your web address and getting in, in touch with you and if people want to find out about ordering the film and, and all that.
2: Cool. The the best thing to find me <laughs> is finding Angela Shelton. We're starting FindingAngelaShelton.com for the book, and then there's AngelaShelton.com. And on there, you'll find the Survivor Manual and the the movie that started it all, Searching for Angela Shelton, and then the book, Finding Angela Shelton. And then there is a Finding Angela Shelton Challenge on there for all the people who are really dedicated and supporting the movement of that Like I said, it has nothing to do with me personally. It's a message. Um, You can take on the challenge of getting this book into the hands of as many people as you possibly can to create a a massive global healing. (laughs) What a concept. So all of it is really at AngelaShelton.com and I do a video blog that's kind of funny. And I promise not to shut up.
1: Angela Shelton, thank you so much for joining us today on Madness Radio.
2: Thank you. Thanks for what you do.
1: You've been listening to an interview with Angela Shelton. Angela is a Hollywood actress and filmmaker who um, has uh, directed and produced the film Searching for Angela Shelton. She also has a new book coming out called Finding Angela Shelton, and you can find out more about her work at AngelaShelton.com. That's about all the time we have this week on Madness Radio. Thanks a lot for tuning in.
0: you've been listening to Madness Radio Voices and Visions from Outside Mental Health. Madness Radio is broadcast every Wednesday 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Pacifica affiliate WXOJLPFM 103.3 Valley Free Radio in Northampton, Massachusetts. For our live internet stream, podcasting show archives and more, visit madnessradio.net. Madness Radio is co-produced by Freedom Center and the Icarus Project. For more information, check out freedom-center.org and theicarusproject.net. For more mental health radio, listen to the news hour from mindfreedom.org, Wednesdays, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have an idea for a story or guest on Madness Radio, or you just want to share what's in your head, contact us at radio at madnessradio.net. W. M. D. Kasilov ninety point seven, Anchorage one o four point five.